Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. I hope you've enjoyed the series so far. Um, I really feel that God is using this to help us in a lot of different areas. Um, We kicked it off in week one talking about overcoming offense. We talked about anger, some of the things that impede our relationships, that prevent us from getting a handle on our relationships. Um, If you'll remember in week one, we talked about the importance of lowering our expectations of people. Um, A lot of us, the reason we're offended and angry and disappointed all the time is because we have expectations of people that are way too high. And and we put them in a place that they were never designed to be. They were never designed to be held that high. And so when they uh, don't meet our expectations, we end up angry and offended. And if we can lower our expectations of one another, then we can raise our level of gratitude for God's grace. And Jesus ultimately taught us that we should drop our stones. And the reason we drop our stones is because we've all sinned. How many can say amen to we've all sinned, right? We've all sinned. And then last week we talked about those people. We know that some people are a little harder to love than others. But we want to do it in a way that honors the person but also brings honor to God. And I'll be the first to admit, I'm a work in progress. Anybody feel me with this, this series? Like, I'm a work in progress. I'm, I, I got to work on this. Now, to kick today's message off, I want to start off with a little bit of fun. And for our fun portion here, you, you are not allowed to be humble. You can be truthful, but I, for just a moment, I don't want you to be humble. I want you to be truthful. How many of you today would say that you're probably smarter than the average person? I better see some hands going up. I better see some hands. Yeah, give me some lights. Yeah, I see some hands going up. Uh, A lot of us, we we do. We kind of live life thinking, you know, I'm I'm smarter than most folks, right? We we do. We won't. It's not something we'll say out loud, but we kind of think that, you know, in conversation in the back of your head, you're thinking, I'm just so much smarter than this person. You know, we're not going to say, and some of you are afraid to admit that in church, but I'm going to prove it to you because most of us think that we're a better driver than everybody else. And now now y'all get catch my drift. Um, A lot of us think we're less sinful than other people. When it comes to issues, most of us think we are more right than most people. And I know that because I've read your comments in the comment section on social media of how you, you know, you're throwing down how right you are, how amazing you are, how smart you are. And I can't speak for all of you. I can only speak for myself. And I know that I'm way above average. I need a little help. Hit your neighbor and say, sarcasm just started. All right? We do think this stuff, but just indulge me for a minute. I'm not bragging because it's not easy being this awesome. 
or this smart. It's not easy to do that. It's not, it's not easy being right all the time. I mean, the world has so many important issues and so many dumb people. You know what I'm talking about. Let's, let's be honest today. Most of us believe, and let me just stop here and say sarcasm ended. All right? Hit your neighbor and say sarcasm's over. A lot of us, we would never say it out loud, but we live our life through the way we think and what we post, and we really do live in a way that suggests that we're right, everybody else is wrong. We're smarter than everybody else. We, we know what's right. I mean, we, we've got the answer to uh, the right approach to the vaccine. We got the right approach to capitalism. We have the right approach to marriage or to gender issues or capital punishment. I can even show you, if you would like, if it's appropriate or not, to wear white pants after Labor Day. In case you're wondering, it's not appropriate. Put them up. Maybe the sarcasm hasn't ended. But today, what I want to do is I want to push on you a little bit. Because I've watched something transpire over the last two years that concerns me. And it's not so much that it concerns me in the world, it concerns me in the body of Christ because of follower, as followers of Jesus, how I many know there is a right way to do things? Even if you're right, you can do it the wrong way and it discounts your rightness. And so the title is, you're not as right as you think you are. And I want you to turn over to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 18, whether it's one that you turn the pages or one that glows, I want you to look at Luke chapter 18, and I want to do something a little bit different today because I've been challenged. Uh, PK kind of mentioned it. Um, a lot of people in the body of Christ, because of online services and masks and distancing and not worshiping, um, you know, we, we spread out and we don't say much and we don't lean in. So I want to do something a little bit different, and I'm going to be pressing on this from time to time and in a lot of different ways, but I want you to stand with me today for the reading of God's Word. I want you to stand with me for the reading of God's word today. Holy Spirit, speak to us today. Luke chapter 18, the context, Jesus is surrounded by a bunch of people. And and to say it bluntly, they were like a lot of people in our culture. The people that was around Jesus, they thought they were right. Not only did they think they were right, they thought they were right about everything. Their goal was to be right. They thought that they knew the way, that they knew how to behave, and they felt they were right. They felt they were smarter, they felt they were better, and they felt they were holier than everyone else. And Luke chapter 18, verse 9, it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. I want to stop before we finish reading this. A Pharisee was very righteous outwardly. Everybody say outwardly. Okay, they dressed the part. They looked the part. They obeyed 613 laws or rules. So outwardly, in the eyes, visibly, they were outwardly righteous. They looked the part. The tax collector, on the other hand, was outwardly despised because of his outward sinfulness. 
We have one guy who is visibly righteous and one guy who is visibly unrighteous. And Jesus says, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think that's worth repeating. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, what's so interesting to me about this text is that the Pharisee saw himself as being right and the tax collector as being wrong. I'm right, he's wrong. And Jesus, you have to understand this about Jesus, he wasn't just concerned about right and wrong. Jesus was concerned about pride and humility. How I many know it's important? He said that those who are proud will be brought down. Those who are humble will be exalted. So, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak to us in a powerful way. God, I pray that if there's levels or areas of pride and arrogance where we feel that we're so much better because we're right, God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would correct us today. And God, that we would be, begin living in a way that honors you and honors the people around us. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. For Jesus, I want to say it again, it wasn't just about being right or wrong. It was about pride and humility. And what we have to understand, the reason that's important is because prideful people do not love well, but humble people do. And so I want you to help me preach the message for just a minute. I want you to hit your neighbor, uh, the neighbor of your choice, the one you like the most. Um, go ahead and tell them you're not as right as you think you are. All right. Now turn to the, your second choice and ask them, are you, a, are you the tax collector or the Pharisee? Are you the tax collector or the Pharisee? How many of you would agree that we live in a complicated time? Amen? We live in a complicated time. I mean, in the world, it's tense out there. Everywhere you go, it's tense. There's so much tension and so many people that feel that they are right, completely convinced on opposite sides of their rightness. And unfortunately, as Christians, if we're not careful, it, it's really easy for us to slip into our own rightness, our own spiritual pride, and become just like the Pharisee that we read about. In fact, I would say respectfully, with all good intention, sometimes those who are followers of Jesus, we tend to think that part of our job as a Christian is to be right. We're right. We stand on truth. We have the answers. That's who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be people who are right. 
we preach the truth. And because we preach the truth, we feel justified in our rightness. Because we're right, oftentimes, though, what I've began to witness, especially over the last, I think it's always happened, but it's become um, magnified over the last two years. Because we're right about so much, we get offended by those who are wrong. And we find ourselves being offended by anything that we think is not right. We're offended by what they posted, offended by how they voted, offended by what people believe and how they behave. And if we live with offense long enough, that offense will eventually simmer and it will begin to grow and and it moves from offense to contempt. And instead instead of just hating what someone does, we start hating who they are. How many of you know that's not a good place for a follower of Jesus to be? It's one thing to hate what someone does, but it's another thing to hate who they are because of what they do. But we're Christians. We're right. They're wrong. And we become justified in it. In that. We become the guardians of the truth. But if we're not careful, as guardians of the truth, we get offended at those who do wrong. And then suddenly, we think it's our job to assess people. We won't call it judge people. We call it assessing them. Um, Let me give you an example. We'll say things like, somebody will ask us about so-and-so, and and you'll say, well, he's a great guy, but he's just way too into himself. Did you really have to add that last part? Could you not just leave it, he's a great guy, but he's really into himself? Or, She's really good at what she does, but her kids, they're out of control, right? We, we assess them because we're Christians. We're right. We know how to do everything. And so we assess people, and we think that we're right about theology. We're right about churches. We can, we can get to a place with no theological background or training at all. I'll run into the average Joe, never had training, never been a pastor, but he knows which churches are good and which churches are bad, which churches are doing the right kind of things versus which churches are not, which churches that are shallow versus which churches are preaching the real word of God. And, and you got all these um, judgments and accusations and assessments of so many different people. And the Pharisee in our story, he was right and he knew it. So he tells everyone how right he is and even prays a prayer, God, I thank you, I'm not like this loser. I thank you that I'm so much better than him. I thank you that I'm great and he's not. And sometimes without meaning to, we can actually do the same thing. I mean, most of the people in this room, if we were being real honest, most of us feel like, you know, individually, I've got the right approach to COVID. Oh, God, I'm going to stir it up. I've got the real sources. I've done the research. I know how this thing should play out. I know how we should go about it. If that's not enough, we know how every person on the planet should spend their money. You hear people, they love Jesus, but say things like, well, if I had that money, I wouldn't spend it that way. 
We assess and we judge and we're critical and we do it all in the name of we're right and they're not. How many know that's not just assessing people, that's judging people? The truth is we need to be reminded today that every single one of us are sinners saved by the grace of God. Sinners saved by the grace of God. And even after we get saved, the Bible tells us that our hearts are still wicked and can be deceptive. As much as we may think we're right about so much, I think oftentimes we're very wrong. Because our, we may be right about something, but our approach is wrong, and that discounts where we're right. Now, let's take it a step further. What if you're right about something, but you're not loving? What, what, what if you are right as a Christian, but you're rude? What if you've got the right truth and you're standing on it, but you're a jerk and nobody likes you? Can I get a little help in this church today? That hits somebody and tell them, you're not as right as you think you are. You're not as right as you think you are. I know you're standing on that soapbox and, you know, pounding the table with all of the things that make you right, but our approach is important. Jesus is not just concerned about right and wrong. Jesus is very much concerned about pride and humility. And I think one of the things that God wants to do in this season is he wants to knock the arrogance out of the church so that we don't stand on soapboxes talking about where we're right, but we start loving people even when they're wrong and bringing them into a relationship with Jesus. I need a little more help than that if you're in agreement. We, I need just a little more help with that. I'm going to take my time. Can I take my time? We have to understand people aren't drawn to Jesus because of our moral superiority, because we do it right. They're not drawn to Christ because we're right about issues. Just because we're right doesn't mean we're making a difference. Watch this. I'm not perfect, and you're not perfect. Jesus was the only one who had ever stepped foot on the earth who was perfect. He was sinless. But what's fascinating about Jesus is that he was without sin, yet he drew sinners to himself. He's without sin. He never sinned. He never messed up. Yet people who lived in darkness were drawn to him. People that were imperfect, people that were full of darkness, had secrets, were dominated by sin. They were all drawn to Jesus. I want to give you four examples in Scripture of how sinners were drawn to Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus went to parties, and at these parties, sinners flocked to him. If Jesus was pastoring in this culture, he would be crucified by the religious crowd. Totally crucified. Because he showed up at parties where they were doing things they shouldn't be doing. And you know what happened when Jesus showed up in those environments? Those that were in bondage to sin were drawn to him. Another example would be that there was a prostitute so moved by the love and grace of Jesus that she knelt down at his feet to worship him and poured out very expensive oil and perfume upon him. A prostitute. Because she was drawn to him. Another example 
would be the tax collector who was treating the people poorly and stealing from them and, and giving it to the Roman government and keeping some for himself. Yet Jesus ends up at that man's house. There was a woman who couldn't seem to hold relationships together. She went from bed to bed, from man to man, but Jesus spent time loving her and gave her exactly what she was looking for, living water to satisfy the emptiness on the inside of her. He was perfect and without sin, yet those that were, that were in darkness were drawn to him. Why do you think that sinful people were drawn to Jesus? Why do you think they wanted to be around him? Um, I believe that it's because Jesus did not spend time making them feel wrong. He spent time making them feel loved. In fact, I want to read to you what I would consider one of the most important New Testament passages on how we should treat other people from John's Gospel, chapter 13. And before we jump into that main part, give you a little bit of context here. We'll start in verse 1 before we get to the main part. But it says, it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So, so we get the gist of what's happening. Jesus knows that his time is coming, that the suffering is about to start, that he's about to lay his life down for the world. And because of that, uh, he, he goes on to say, it says that he loved his own who were in the world. And how did he do that? He loved them, in verse 1, he loved them till the end. Now, you have to understand in, in John 13, he's showing how much he loves those that are his because they were sitting at the Last Supper maybe even kneeling. A lot of people believe they were kneeling around this, this meal, and it was an intimate meal. And as they're eating, Jesus gets up and he does something that shocks all of them. The Bible says that he took off his outer robes and he puts on a slave's apron, a servant's apron. And he kneels down and he does something um, that the disciples were shocked by. How many know what he did? He started washing their feet, right? And that was something that only a slave would be doing. Yet the king of kings, the lord of lords, the sinless one, takes off his robes, puts on a slave's apron. He kneels down and he begins to humble himself, washing their feet, and they are shocked. They're a little rattled by what's happening. And he goes back to eating and he makes a statement. He said, oh, by the way, one of you, you're going to betray me. You're going, you're going to betray me. And he says, what you must do, he said, go and do quickly. And Judas leaves the others and he goes off to do exactly what Jesus said he would do, to go and betray him. This is the context of when Jesus says what I'm about to read to you. He's having this meal, he's humbled himself, he's washed their feet, he's already described, one of you is going to betray me. He knew who it was. But then in John 13, starting in verse 33, he says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now. Where I am going, you cannot come. 
a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I love this because he starts it out by saying, my children. In Greek, that this, it comes from the word technia, which is a relational term. And I love this because every other time Jesus is speaking, he's speaking as the son of God, as Jesus, as a man, uh, in, you know, as the God man, as um, the Holy Spirit enabled him to speak. But it, it kind of, his tone changes here because he's not just speaking as a friend. He's not just speaking as the son of God. He says, my children. It's almost like the father is now speaking to the disciples. He says, my children. And he says, I'm not going to be with you much longer because I'm about to give my life. And he says, a new command. Everybody say new command. The word in Greek for new means fresh. It means not worn out. And in this context, when he says it, he says, I'm going to love you to the end. And I want you to feel the power of what Jesus said next. He said, he said love one another as I have loved you. As I'm loving you right now in this way, in this manner, in this style, in this context, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And this, this is the, the, the most powerful part. He said, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How will they know that we love Jesus? How will they know that we follow him? How will they know that we are his disciples? They won't know that we are his disciples by us telling them what we're against. Listen, nobody's going to follow Jesus by you telling them what you're against. Nobody's going to follow Jesus by you posting your thoughts and your opinions. No one's going to follow Jesus because you pound the table and say, I'm right about this. They will follow Jesus. They'll know you're a follower of Jesus by the way we love them. So often, we don't do it the way Jesus just described it. Why do we struggle to love people the way Jesus did? I think the answer for a lot of Christians is because we're too busy being right. We're too busy being right to love people where they are. Jesus was concerned about right and wrong, but he was also concerned about pride and humility. See, if our posture's right, and most of us think our posture is, I'm right about this, I'm right about this, I'm right about that, I'm always right. The first thing that happens when we think we're always right is that we start to feel like we are morally superior to everyone else, and then we become judgmental of everyone around us. And when we're judgmental of everyone around us, now we are angered by everything they do that we believe is wrong. And it's the exact opposite of the way Jesus lived. Think about this. Jesus was the most right person who ever lived, yet he was at the same time the least judgmental person that ever lived. He was the most right, he was perfect, yet he was the least judgmental. In fact, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the woman caught in the act of adultery. I love this story because there's so many layers to it. You guys know the players in the story. The woman who was caught, don't know where the man was. It's another sermon. Um, they should have brought his hind end out there to be stoned as well. But they brought her out, and 
Here's the thing we, we miss. We go straight to the end where Jesus said, you know, if you've not sinned, um, you, you can cast a stone. But what you have to understand is that when the Pharisees brought this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, they were right. They were not wrong. What she did was wrong. They were right. The law said she is to be stoned. All right? How many of you understand? They were right. And the woman was wrong. We get that, right? And so they bring her to Jesus, and we know the story. Jesus kneels down, scribbles in the sand. Tradition teaches that he probably listed their sins, and the Bible said that they left, the men did, oldest to the youngest. They all left, and here's where the part I love. He says this. Jesus looked at the woman who had sinned, and he said, where are those who came to condemn you? And, he's, and, and she said, they're not here. And he, he looked at her and said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way. And he doesn't stop there. He said, go your way and sin no more. I love this story because it was truth overwhelmed with love. Church, we can speak the truth. But the way in which we speak the truth, the tone in which we speak the truth, the manner in which we speak the truth, our approach to speaking the truth, it all matters. It's important. Have I always got it right? No, there's been times I just blew up. You're wrong, I'm right. Bless God, that's it. But I am learning to take a different approach with people that think differently, behave differently, see things differently than I do. Because at what, what have I gained if I'm right and they go to hell? What have I gained? We're right about this and we're right about that. How do you think this woman felt after this encounter with Jesus? What do you think she felt? Was the woman wrong? She was. Did Jesus tell her? She was wrong. He did. He said, hey, I'm not condemning you. Go and sin no more. What do we learn from this? The woman didn't feel wrong. She felt loved. She felt seen. She felt valued. And because of those things, she was able to change her direction, to change her course in her life. I'm telling you, if we will love people where they are, they will turn from darkness and start running to Christ in droves. But we got to love them where they are. It's not enough to say you're wrong if I'm not going to point them to the one that can help them. It's got to be truth overwhelmed with love. Jesus is concerned with right and wrong, but he's also concerned with pride and humility. A lot of us, we feel morally superior. I'm right, I'm smarter, I know the truth, they don't, they're wrong. And we get in pride which leads to anger, leads to offense. But if we could shift gears and come out of our arrogance and out of pride and humble ourselves, we could start with the idea, I haven't always gotten it right, but you know what? I'm forgiven. 
God has forgiven me of so many things. And because he's forgiven me of so many things, I now have have a profound gratitude. And our gratitude will lead us to becoming more accepting of people who may be wrong and may be difficult, but I don't have to be angered or offended. After all, sinners are supposed to sin. Some of us are really struggling with this. You know why? Because for two years we've posted and went on our rants and pounded the table and our private conversations are, I'm right and I can't believe these idiots. And Everywhere I go, I'm around preachers a lot. And they have soapboxes just like the people of God where I'm right, bless God. At the end of the day, if we're all right, but no one's making a difference, what are we doing? What, what are we really doing? We're, we're right, but we're not making a difference. I'm telling you, if we will humble ourselves, we can start being effective in reaching people. I wonder what would happen in your marriage if you started operating in humility instead of pride. A lot of times, people can't work through things because of arrogance, because they would rather be right than effective. They would rather be right than to work it out. What would happen in your work relationships if instead of standing in your pride and arrogance, I'm right about this and you're wrong, that may be true. But what if we changed our approach and it wasn't so much about who's right and who's wrong as we can agree on this, Jesus is good. What would happen? in our relationships if we really took the angle that Jesus took. And some of you are like, I get it, Pastor, but you need to know I'm right and they're wrong. We're hard-headed. The truth is Jesus was right and you were wrong, and instead of judging you, he loved you. We rarely help anyone by judging their sins, but we might help them by loving them and pointing them to the one who forgives their sins. I'm going to ask the worship team if you guys can go ahead and begin playing something behind me. I'm going to wrap this up. The Apostle Paul made a statement. You've read it before. It's really, really powerful. He said, if I speak in tongues of men... Or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He said, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have the faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give my body over to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I have nothing. I'm going to make this easier for y'all because the whole gist of this is you being right does not bring people into a relationship with Jesus. Um, I could talk about all the things I do for God. Okay, friends, I've been saved for 20-some years. I'm a preacher of the gospel. I've tithed on every dollar I've ever made. I pray this amount every day. I pray in the Holy Spirit every day. I go here and preach. How many, if I keep listing all the things that I do for the Lord, how many think that's going to draw anyone into a relationship with Jesus? It ain't going to draw nobody into a relationship with Jesus. 
As a matter of fact, it might, might make people think, he's arrogant. It'd probably do the exact opposite. So listing, hey, I, I, you know, I'm on a 722-day streak on my Bible app. It's probably not going to win one person to Jesus. It's not going to win one person into a relationship with Jesus. If I go to church every single weekend or I got the right views or, or, or all of these things that we begin to list, the question becomes, am I making a difference? Am I loving others the way Jesus has asked me to love others? Who are we? I'll tell you who we are. We are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We are a light shining into a dark world and we are called to lead with love. Lead with love. Lead with love. That's what we're called to do. We're called to lead with love. So it's not just about right and wrong. It's about pride. It's about humility. Because proud people do not love well, but humble people do. When I'm reminded of what I've done wrong in my life and where I've missed the mark, you know what it does for me when others have missed the mark? It helps me to have compassion and grace on them. Some of us need to be reminded that you ain't always been where you are. Some of us were in a mess when Jesus found us. But he had grace. He had compassion. He had mercy on us. What if we loved people with the same grace and compassion that Jesus loved us with? I think we could change the world. I think we could change the world. I want you to stand with me today. I told you I was going to push on you just a little bit because it's not just about having the right ideas. It's about having the right approach. And Jesus did not call us to be right. He called us to tell the truth. But he didn't say they're going to know us because of our rightness. He said they'll know us that we're followers of Jesus because of our love. So, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus over every person in this room, every family that's represented here, God, that you would help us to understand the importance of loving people the way you loved us. God, I pray that in the middle of a culture that is constantly talking about how right it is, God, it's not that we don't share the truth and it's not that we don't talk about what's right and what's wrong, but God, I pray that you would help our approach. God, help us to love people where they are and to always remember, God, that you loved us when we were a mess. Help us to love people and, and lead them into a relationship with Jesus. We ask that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. No one looking around for a couple of minutes. Um, if you're in this place today and you're not in right relationship with Jesus, you'd say, Pastor, I'm not right with Jesus. I know I'm not. I need his grace. I need to be forgiven. I need to be saved. If that's you, whether it's online or here in person, those in this room, I'm going to challenge you to do something. If that's you, you know I'm talking to you and you need to make some things right with God. Get it under the blood. Invite Jesus into your heart. 
If that's you, would you just slip your hand up right there where you are and say, Pastor, you're talking to me. I need to make some thank you for this hand back here. God bless you. I see that. Anyone else? Another one back here. God bless you. One over here. God bless you. I see that hand. Anyone else before we pray? Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing us into a relationship with you. Those of you online making that decision, our prayer, uh, our moderators there will help you. But I want us to all pray this prayer together. Say, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I've committed sins. I need a savior. I want to thank you for loving me in the middle of my mess. I ask you to forgive me for all of my sins. I repent of those sins and I invite you into my heart to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me and changing me. In Jesus' name, amen. Can you give Jesus a big God bless you? Come on, you can do better than that. Three people in here just gave their life to Jesus. Listen, those of you that made that decision to follow Christ, that connect card we talked about earlier, I want to refer to it one more time. It's in the seat back in front of you. If you would take a minute just to let us know who you are, that you made that commitment to Jesus, and then meet us back at the table in the back left, my left, your right of the room. We want to put a Bible in your hand and help you take your next step. I'm going to ask the prayer team and the staff, if you would, to come forward. We want to open up this altar. And listen, guys, we we really want to push on this a little bit. And we want our church to lean in a little bit more. I, I, I believe in the power of prayer. I have seen in the last few months in these prayer lines up here, God heal cancer and kidney failure and some really cool stuff. And, and so I don't want you to think this is just a moment where, you know, we sing a last song and then we go home. Listen, whatever it is you need God to do, we believe that God will meet you there. We, how many believe that God still does miraculous things? Anybody still believe? I still believe it. So whatever you have need of today, these altars are open. Worship team is going to lead us in one more song. And during this song, please come and receive prayer. I love you. Have an incredible day. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.